Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, I have a question for you this morning. And uh, whenever I hear, like, when someone says, uh, you know, I have a question for you, one question for you, I want to say, what are those? <laughs> if you have kids, you get that, okay? But no one gets that. But I do have one question for you. And my question for you is this. Why are you so judgy? Oh, okay. Yeah. Why are you so judgy? Why are you so judgy? Why are you and I so quick to size up a person, put them in a category, and throw away the key? Why are religious people especially known for being so judgmental? You know, if Jesus was known as being the most accepting, the most tolerant, the most loving, the most inclusive person who ever lived, in fact, the Pharisees' main complaint against Jesus was just how accepting he was. Why is it then that the American church seems to, with Christ supposedly as her head, why is it that the American church at least seems to have the opposite reputation? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> um, you know, if you're not a believer, you might be thinking, yeah, I'm really glad you, I came to church today. Lay it on those judgy Christians, which is actually quite judgy of you, but that's okay because you're not bound by Christian morality. And by the way, I, I have to say, um, I, I just saw Gilbert. So, Gilbert, could you just stand up for one second? Gilbert's back from China. He is our missionary in China, and so we appreciate you so much. We love you, Gilbert. And if... Um, and if anyone has, you know, questions about experience, his experiences in China or you're thinking about, you know, potential mission trip this year to China, then he's a person you can talk to. And Gilbert, we're glad you're here. Love you, man. Love you, brother. So this is what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 14. So you can turn your Bibles there. Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. And Paul um, begins by addressing a real-time, real-life situation going on in the Roman church. And he says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment? So even Paul and even God is saying, like, who are you to pass judgment? Why are you so judgy? Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and we will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So what we have to do is try to understand a little bit first is what is the context? Why is this church so judgy? What is going on in this first century Roman church? What is this dispute about eating vegetables and those who eat meat? What, what's going on? Well, this passage is famously known as the weak and the strong, or the weak versus the strong. All right? So who are the weak and who are the strong? What's, what's kind of going on? What, what's all this about eating vegetables and not? All right? So the weak Christians, all right, in this passage, the weak Christians were probably, likely, they were Jewish Christians. So they were Jewish, right, first, and they converted to Christianity, and they were living in Rome. And these Jews who became Christians, they remained, they kept their Jewish dietary laws. And so if you had any experience in the Old Testament, you know all the dietary restrictions they have. For example, Jewish people won't eat pork, okay? And if they were to eat meat or they, they were to eat beef or other foods, it had to prepare, be prepared in a kosher way. 
And so if you were Jewish, like Jewish people, you wouldn't eat meat that's been dedicated to a pagan god. So imagine then, first century, you're a Christian and you're a Jew, you're a Christian Jew, and you walk into a, a Roman open-air market where you know that it's just the common practice that all the meat has been dedicated to a pagan god. So in your mind, in devotion to God and to avoid being defiled, you purposely abstain from purchasing any meat and you choose to be a vegetarian. That's labeled the weaker Christian. Now, why is that person labeled the weaker Christian? Well, because it's in comparison to this other Christian called the strong Christian, right? So the strong, they were likely, they were not, probably not Jewish, but they were Gentile. They were Roman Christians. They could have been other Jewish Christians as well, but they didn't share the same religious value. They didn't share that same religious conviction of what you can and can't eat because they know that in, the, in Christ, that in Christ there is no restriction on what you can eat. So they ate anything. They ate everything, all right? So maybe in a way you could think about it, the weak versus strong. It's like if you and a buddy and you went to go and eat, uh, you guys wanted to get some pho, all right? So you go, and you go into the Vietnamese restaurant, and when the first thing you notice when you walk in is you notice the Buddha statue and the incense at the counter, all right? And in your mind, you're thinking, wait a minute. <clears throat> We're um, going to eat, um, but you're thinking, I'm not sure if I really want to eat here because everything in here has been dedicated to an idol, and so in some way, we are participating in idol worship, all right? That runs through your mind. But your friend, your friend, who is also a Christian, doesn't even give it a second thought. You know, your friend's thinking, I love Jesus, I love pho, let's eat. It's all good, right? But you, you look at your friend and you say, wait a minute, how can you eat this food? You're defiling yourself. Don't you, you know, what kind of Christian are you? Don't you want to honor God in what you eat and drink? All right? And you kind of judge your friend like that. But then your friend looks back at you and says, dude, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that what you eat and what you drink has no bearing on your righteousness, has no bearing on your holiness? Therefore, I'm free to eat, and so are you. How come you don't know this by now? All right? So both are actually trying to honor God in their own way. But both Christians, they take this small issue this really small thing of food, and they make it something big to divide over. And not only do they divide over it, but they place a value judgment, a value judgment on the other person's faith and life. That's why Paul says in verse 10, why do you pass judgment? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And then he, he takes it one step further. When you're judging the person, or why do you despise. That's a strong word. You're looking at your brother, you're looking at your sister based on something small, something that's a particular value, something that's a particular opinion. That's your point of view of how you're trying to worship and honor God and versus the other person, and you despise them for it. You judge them. Why are you and I, why are you so judgy? Why are we so judgy? This is what was going on in the first century church. And Paul is just bringing up an example. It's probably a big example of how people are judging each other. But it's also kind of a broader umbrella 
of just how we judge people all the time. And if you, for example, you know, if you're hearing this particular illustration of what actually was going on in the First Century Church, that people were actually despising each other, whether they're vegetarian or not. And if you thought in your mind, that's just ridiculous. Those Roman Christians are just ridiculous, right? Guess what? <clears throat> you just judge them. And the truth is, is that we do it all the time, right? We do it all the time. We judge people by the color of their hair. We judge people by the color of their skin, the clothes they wear. We judge people by the shade of their lipstick. We judge people by how much makeup they put on their face, right? We judge people by the job they hold, the words they use, the look in their eyes, their age, their gender. We make value judgments of a person's Starbucks order. I want a triple vente, non-fat, non-sweet, non-soy, non-whip mocha at 130 degrees. Man, you obnoxious non-believer, right? What are we thinking? You must, that person must have issues. I remember the first time, you know, when cell phones started coming out. I mean, the first time with the, the big, clunky, you know, cell phones, the real cell phone, when they, they came out. You know, I just remember seeing a person walking on a street with the, with the first time, seeing a person with their real cell phone, and I just had an attitude about them. I just despise a person. Like, who are you trying to be? You don't need that. We've gone, we've gone forever without cell phones. We don't need cell phones. And I just kind of remember despising that person. We judge others for the smallest things. She's too skinny. He's too cute. He's overweight. She's pretty. He's handsome. She's a Republican. He's a Democrat. He went on that march yesterday. He's too religious. She's such a heathen. And then what's near and dear to my heart is bikers, right? Because I'm a biker, right? And every time I'm in the car with Angel, my wife, and then a bark biker just rides by, she's like, bikers. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm right here, man. I'm right here. I mean, we make value judgments about people all the time based on the smallest thing we don't like, and we write people off. This is what it means to pass judgment. This is what Paul's talking about. So to pass judgment on your outline, just give you the definition of what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about. To pass judgment means to evaluate someone. And typically, it's a snap judgment. Not always, but typically, it's a snap judgment. It's like when you saw someone walking in this morning, or you were sitting down and you saw someone else walking you know, and you make a snap judgment. You evaluate them, and you come to the conclusion now, you know what? You're not worth my time. You're not worth my effort. You're not worth my concern. And you are not worth my love. That's what it means to pass judgment. And that goes on in our hearts. Now, this is different. I want to say that this is, and we'll go into it a little bit more next week. But this is a little bit, di there's a difference between a value judgment and a discernment judgment, Okay. And so this is what Paul's talking about here when he says, when he talks about the value judgments that we're making when we despise one another. This value judgment is the same thing when Jesus says, do not judge. Okay? A discernment judge is, is something different. A discernment judgment we need. You know, this, uh, on Friday, there was, um, <clears throat> we've had a couple break-ins in your car over here. That's why you have security people, so it's safe, okay? But on Friday, there was a person who uh, I think kind of followed Stacy in to a little bit, but they didn't get in, into the side, but because inside, but because we know that there were some break-ins, and we have cameras all around the church, okay? It's good stuff. We have cameras all around the church, and so um, the person, when he saw the camera, he immediately, so we were able to see what he was doing outside. When he saw the camera, he immediately put his hoodie on, and then he started just kind of looking around here, and then 
kind of seeing the door, <laughs> which door uh, was open, and we were just watching him real time. And because we had, um, had a couple break-ins, there was a value judgment that we needed to make, right, at that particular time. So for me, it was like, okay, am I going to go out there and confront the person, right? That's just a value judgment. That's just safety, right? So it's not saying just because I, you know, God's not saying, yeah, well, why don't you just let him in? Here's the keys to my car. You know, that's not what we're talking about, all right? So I went out there and um, I went out there and just told him, hey, just let you know, you're on, you're on candy camera. You know, we've got a picture of your face. And then he started cursing me and stuff like that and, and he left. But anyway, but there's a difference between a value judgment of like you're not worth anything and then the discernment judgment, okay? And so I want you to know that Jesus and Paul, they're here, they're talking about the value judgments that we make on people, not discernment judgments, all right? Now, the question we need to ask, what are those? No, okay. The question we need to ask next is, why do we do that? I mean, do you ever ask yourself about that? Do you ever take some time to, like, really reflect? Why are you so quick to judge? Why am I? So quick to just look at someone and make a judgment. And a lot of times, it's not that flattering. Why do we do that? And this is really important. So let me give you just three, three things really quick. Um, why, why do we feel this surge of satisfaction when I can look at one and say, and man, I'm glad I'm not like you. Number one, the reason we notice what's wrong with other people is because it helps us to feel better about ourselves. Doesn't it? And what that is, is working in us, is self-righteousness. We are just self-righteous. That's part of our fallen nature. We want to be like God, and we don't want to be under God's authority. We don't want to be under his rule. We want to make our, we want to feel good about ourselves, and so we make our own standards for what's good and bad, and we, because we can't handle it, we try to make ourselves look good, so we compare ourselves to lesser people. And if we could find out and see what's bad about other people. It takes our minds off our own self and our own problems. And so self-righteous people, what they do is they compare themselves to others in order to increase their sense of worthiness of love and respect. And so you can see everything that's wrong with other people. You can see everything that's wrong with God. You can see everything that's wrong with religion, but you can't see what's wrong with you. That's why really self-righteous people tend to be the tend to be, they are rarely self-aware. Second is that, why do we do this? It feeds a need to be significant. We just want to feel like we're important. And that's why we do it. And the need is, we want our life to bear weight, to bear some type of value. And this is such an essential need for all of us, is that, and we'll seek to fill it at all costs, we will do it so at the cost of another person. We will devalue, look at a person, and actually devalue their humanity in order to increase my own. Pretty bad. Third, their issue, when you see someone and they have a particular issue and you judge them, or you see them in a certain way and you judge them, the reason we do that is because it reminds us, this is more subtle, it reminds us of the very thing that we can't stand about ourselves. It reminds us of the very thing that we can't stand about ourselves. You ever see someone, or you ever relate to someone, could even be at work, could be a coworker, a friend, an acquaintance, you know, that you meet, and you say, you know, there's just something about him. There's just something about her. Can't put my finger on it, but I, I just don't like. They just, they just rub me the wrong way. 
And what's happening is you don't even know that subconsciously you're judging the person. All the while, the reason why they rub you the wrong way, the reason that you can't stand this person is because subconsciously, it actually, they actually remind you of your own issue that you have a problem with, your own issue that you're struggling with, your own unresolved guilt or pain. And subconsciously, you can't handle the truth. And that's why you don't like being around that person. And so what is Paul doing? Paul is bringing all this up, all this ugliness up to the surface because, because, because the vision for Christian community has been completely transformed, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has done for us, because of the transformation of the way that He has accepted and loved and welcomed others is the way that we're supposed to accept and love and welcome others. Christian community has been radically redefined and changed because of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that welcomes anyone regardless of race or gender, sin, sexual orientation, rich, poor, urban, suburban, liberal, conservative, squeaky clean, or messed up. It doesn't matter. All are welcome under the cross. And so God, and Paul particularly in this picture, he imagines a church, a community of people who are judgment-free. He imagines a community of people who are judgment-free. You just got to soak that in for a little bit. Because if this were true, and if this were enacted out in the church, there would be no place on earth like the church. There would be no place on earth like the place when the people of God gather together where it is truly a judgment-free zone. To be able to walk in the room and no one is making a snap judgment about you or give you a nasty look because of the way you look, because of the impression that you give off, whether it's positive or negative, whether your issues are really overt, you know, you can really tell some people have some issues or they're hidden. Everyone treats you with this blank check of acceptance. I know. Guys, I know, I know it's impossible to imagine. But Paul thinks it's possible. That's why he's giving correction to the Roman church. Jesus obviously thinks it's possible because he receives us in that way. God obviously thinks it's possible. That's why in his word. Why? Because God does not pass judgment on us the way that we pass judgment on each other. God doesn't pass judgment on us the way that we pass judgment on each other. And the change and the transformation that's supposed to be taking in place is that we would receive each other as God has received us. That's the community, the new transformation that God is building. John 3.17 is important. I know we all know John 3.16, but John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's a very different way that you approach a person in a condemning way, or in a reconciling and healing way. Very different. This is part of the transformation of Romans 12, 1 through 2. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, because whether you're Christian or not, we all do this. This is where we're coming from. We're so judgy. 
but the transformation and the hope and the renewal in your mind is mercy and grace and acceptance. Just think about that. Just, you know, some more just dwell on that because it's so unlike any other place. Right when you walk from here, even in this place and when you leave from this place, when you go to your work and you go to school, you go to the supermarket or you go to some, you know, uh, um, function where there's a lot of relationships, could be a work function, right? We're always thinking about the ways that we're, we're being judged. Wouldn't it be so freeing, guys? Wouldn't it be just such a testimony to, to, to the transformative power of God that a person who doesn't go to church, or even if you are a Christian, and you walk into a space, you know, any space where Christians are gathered on a Sunday, and you're immediately struck by the welcome, the acceptance. Let me tell you something. It wouldn't be something where, like, I have to, I have to be in this group for a while and figure out if they're welcoming or not. You know, you would know it in a moment. You would know it the moment that you stepped into a place, even if you were brand new. It would be palpable, the acceptance. Why? The reason is because it's also palpable when the opposite is present. When you know you're in a particular room or a particular space where you know you're being judged, where you're, especially when you know you're being judged negatively, it is palpable. You can feel it when a spirit of non-acceptance is, in, is present. Um, in, in my years in the church, I mean, uh, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, uh, maybe 20, 20 years. And so, I mean, I've visited, I've been in so many churches, I've visited so many churches, right? And in some churches, you can feel the acceptance. You really can. But sad to say that the majority of churches I've been in, you could just feel the difference. You can feel the wall. You can feel the, the non-acceptance. And sometimes churches can feel so awkward because the judgment is so palpable. And I know for a lot of you here, you know, have been coming to SCAC for a while, you just kind of walk in and it's just kind of the same old, same thing. But man, it is so hard to come into a place that's new, that's difficult. It could be really difficult and really awkward for someone who's new, doesn't understand. It's kind of like this. Um, do you remember your sixth grade dance? You remember when the lights were low? You remember the romantic mood when, um, when the slow dance song came on? The slow dance mood, you know, music, it, it, it comes on. The slow dance music comes on. Do you remember your sixth grade dance? Do you remember how it was? And then what happens is maybe some people were dancing, right? But then when the slow dance music comes on, everyone goes to everyone clears the dance floor. Nobody's there, right? And every kid has their back against the wall and their eyes on the ground. Remember when you were there? Remember how awkward it was? And actually, when you were back against the wall, you were actually hoping that nobody would actually go on the dance floor. You know why? Because if some other kid may actually made it to the dance floor, it means that some other kid, they had the guts to do it that you didn't have. How dare that they make you look so bad, right? So no one ends up dancing. No one has fun because no one wants to be judged. Okay, you can stop the horrible memories now. Let's bring the health lights back up. All right, fade to black. All right. Thanks, guys. That was, you guys, nice job. Nice job. Nice AV work. All right. Nice AV work. Good job. 
We all know the feeling of being judged. We all know the feeling of walking to a place, and it can be so awkward. And here it is, guys. The promise of Paul and the promise of Jesus and the promise of the church is there is such a renewal going on in our minds and hearts that when we get together, it's supposed to be when the church gets together, you step into a space on Sunday, you step into a space on Friday night, you step into someone's home, that the spirit of acceptance would be so pervasive that it is palpable. People with pain, people with issues, struggling in their identity, struggling with their past, people who are so embittered they can't forgive themselves, can't forgive others, all the non-perfect people come to a place where their imperfection is accepted and welcomed. They're not even Christian. And they come to a place and they're like, man, I don't believe in God, but I want this community that God seems to give. I'll take that. Because it feels like a place where I can be myself, and and I know I've got issues. I'm not blind to all of them, but I know I've got issues. But I feel like when I'm in a space like this, I'm not condemned by them. And that doesn't mean that we're not helping people to change. This is important. It's not that we're not, we're ignoring these things. We're not going to help, that we're not helping people change. That's the next chapter. That's chapter 15. That Come next week and hear the rest of this. But here's where Paul begins. You can't help anyone get better if you're passing judgment on them at the same time. It is impossible to pass judgment and lovingly correct someone at the same time. If you're a parent, you know this is true. If you're a parent of elementary school kids, and especially junior high, high school College, you might be telling your child the most important truth that you've ever learned. But if, you, if you're doing it in a way where you're condemning them, your child will not receive that truth. No matter how loud you yell, they will not receive that truth because all they can hear is the condemnation and they cannot get past that. They will not hear any correction. It is impossible to pass judgment and lovingly correct someone at the same time. That's why Paul's dealing with the issue up front first. We need to be a judgment-free zone if you're actually really going to lovingly correct someone. That's all next week. Okay, so look, how do we begin the journey of healing and transformation, which all of us need in this area? How do we begin this healing, the journey of healing and transformation of our judginess? And we all do this. Okay, just give me three things. Number one is we need to stop condemning others in your mind. You need to turn it off. Stop condemning others. and Mind your own business. Right? Stop condemning others. Mind your own business. Paul says in verse 4, he says this, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's verse 4. Then go to verse 7. Verse 7 says he continues with this same logic. He's using a different illustration about, um, you know, sacred days and non-sacred days. He just gives another example. Verse 7, he says this, For none of us lives to himself, 
None of us dies to himself. In other words, that we all live under one authority, and the authority is not you. He says, verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul's saying this. He's saying, look, I know that the person that you're judging, I know that the person that you're looking at, you're saying, man, they got issues. I know that they've got issues, but it's not your job to pass judgment. In fact, God already says that when he looks at the brother or the sister that you've kind of put in that category, not worth my time, not worth my effort, not worth my compassion, not worth my love, the person that you've discarded, Paul says here in those verses that the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, God has hope for the person that you've already discarded. God has hope for your brother, for your sister, but you are going to be no good to them because you have no hope for them. So let God then focus on him or her, and then why don't you focus on yourself? That's what Paul is saying. As Jesus would say, remove the big, huge plank from your own eye before you try and take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. So stop condemning others and mind your own business. That's what he's saying. All right? And then the second thing, practical thing, take this into your week, take this into the fellowship hall, take this into your space right now. Ascribe worth and value to people. Make that a habit because, again, we have that opposite habit. We have the habit of trying to measure up and, you know, judge people and give value judgments to others. And so instead of doing that, you should walk around with a new mindset, a transforming mindset where God says, Look at all the people with value, because every person I see, I don't discard them. I see it with them with hope. I will uphold them. So what we can do along with God is ascribe worth and value to others, especially to those that you have the most difficulty ascribing worth and value to. Let me tell you why this is really important. You know, <clears throat> If you build a pattern of habitually passing judgment and, and you go to the, where you're despising people, people will no longer be human to you. People will lose their humanity because all you do is see people in certain categories. The issue with that is that in the process of seeing people and not seeing their humanity, what happens is that you lose your humanity too. You know why? Because if you despise others, at some point, you're going to begin despising yourself. Let me tell you why. See, if you judge others as not worth your time, effort, concern, or love, what happens when you judge a person who's better than you? (laughs) You know what's going to happen? You're going to condemn yourself. You're going to see another person who's better than you, And because you're so used to condemning other people that are less than you, you find yourself less than others. And at some point, you're going to start condemning yourself. And you look at another person who's better than you and say, I will never amount to anything. I could never accomplish. I could never imagine myself. I could never. I am not. And you're stuck in this cycle. And so now, not only do you accuse others, you end up accusing yourself. And if there's anything that's clear in Scripture about what the devil does is that Jesus frees and the devil accuses. Jesus frees, and the devil wants to keep you enslaved. And he keeps you enslaved by accusing yourself. And when you accuse yourself, you can never grow, 
and you don't have hope for others, and then you end up not having any hope for yourself. Jesus frees the devil, accuses. There was a young man who worked for IBM. This was back in the 70s. He wanted to make a decision that most people warned this guy that, hey, if you make it's, it's a bad decision. But he thought he was right, and he, he went along with his plans, and the mistake cost the company $10 million. So this guy, he was called to the office of the IBM founder, Tom Watson, and went to the office, and he, you know, he was dejected. He, was, he knew that his, his job was gone. And he says, I guess you want my resignation. And Mr. Watson, the founder, he said, you can't be serious. We just made a $10 million investment in your education. You're not going anywhere. Get back to work. Can you ascribe worth and value to people even who have failed, failed you in your life? Isn't that what Jesus did for Peter? When Peter denied Christ three times, after the resurrection, a defeated Peter meets Jesus face to face at the shores of his old fishing grounds. And Jesus would have had every right to condemn sin and condemn Peter, but he doesn't. Jesus died for Peter, for his sins, so that there would no longer be any condemnation. And Jesus tells Peter, I died for you. I made an eternal investment in you, so go and feed my sheep. It's good news. That's the good news they all, we all need to hear that we, each of us, are continually accepted by God, even us, even us. And so with the worth and the value that God has ascribed and given to us, His mercy continually, day after day, moment after moment, in light of our failures, in light of our struggles, in light of our ongoing issues, God receives us. Should we not receive others in the same way? And the last one is really simple that we can all do is repent. We just got to repent. See, when we judge others, what we're doing, when we pass judgment, think about it. When we pass judgment, we're basically kind of sending people to hell. I mean, in our minds, we're just sending them into purgatory. We're sending them to hell. We've got to repent of that. We're, we're taking the place of God. And here it is, is that we need to know this. Is not only is that not our place to judge people and kind of send them off to hell, we judge wrongly. Like, we don't even get it right. I mean, have you ever, like, met a person, or you see a person maybe at school, and they're good-looking, and they're athletic, and you're thinking, man, they're, they're good-looking, they're athletic, you know, he's a jock, must be really stupid, right? Because you can't be that good-looking, and you can't be athletic, that athletic without being dumb. You have to be a dumb jock. And they're in your class, and you find out, man, he's the smartest guy in the class. He actually becomes valedictorian. You're like, what? It's not fair. And you think, okay, man, he's good-looking. He's athletic. He's intelligent. Okay, you can't have all those qualities without being an obnoxious, egotistical jerk, right? They must be a jerk. They must be really full of themselves, right? And then you actually meet the person. They're like the most humble they're like the most polite, most sincere person that you've ever met, more than you. And you're like, God, man, that's just not fair, right? That's just not fair that there could be a human being like that, right? You just got to repent. You even judged wrongly. You got to repent. Why are you so judgy? Probably because you're so jealous, right? That's probably why, right? All right, so we need to repent. 
and in repenting, you should ask yourself this question. You should ask yourself this question. Whenever you want to be judgy, you should ask yourself this question. How would you want to be judged? How would I want to be judged? You ask yourself the question, how would I want to be judged? And I would answer, I want to be judged not, right? I mean, I don't even want to be judged. That's not a good, nobody wants to be judged. I don't want to be judged, all right? But if I had to be judged, okay, if I had to be judged by you, you don't want to judge me, because I'm up here, I'm up here, right? I'm kind of being vulnerable, right? So if I had to be judged by you, or if I had to be judged by God, let me tell you how I'd want to be judged, okay? I want you to take into account my background. I want you to take into account even my ethnicity. You know why? Because I have certain, a lot of Asians have certain insecurities about, because even how they grew up, because of your ethnicity, you were pegged as Chinese or Asian or whatever, and people saw you in a certain way. And so I would actually want you to take that into account. I would want you to take into account my experiences. I would want you to take into account my intelligence or thereof and lack of. I would want you to take into account of my hurt, my personal issues, my insecurities that sometimes I just can't control. I would want you to take into account my personality profile, my disc profile, my Enneagram, my Myers-Briggs, my strength finders. Take all those things into account. I would want you, before you judge me, take into account my fear, my worries, my failures, my painful experiences, my painful shyness when I was a little kid. The, the introversion I had growing up, I had no voice. I would want you to take into account every part of me before you made any judgment about me. That's how I would want to be judged by you. So shouldn't the measure that we use to judge others be the measure that we want others to judge us? That's just what Scripture says. That's just what Paul's saying. That's just what's just. Shouldn't the measure that we use to judge others, shouldn't that be the measure we want others to judge us? Mercifully. Mercifully. I want to be judged mercifully. Titus chapter 3 says this. At one time, we too, man, we were messed up. We were foolish. We were disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. That's the way of the world, hating and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, not the condemnation and judgment of God, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, because there are none, but because of God's mercy, because of His mercy that He saved us. God does that for every single believer. God does that for the person sitting next to you. God does that for the person you're married to. God does that for the person you're not getting along with. Mercy. He judges them with mercy. For the person you have no hope for, God has eternal hope for them. God does this for every single believer, and God is waiting to do that for every person who doesn't believe. 
Mercy is there. It's waiting. And before you were a believer, you were a non-believer. The Christian job, as we leave from this place, is for us to agree with God that every single person that you meet was worth Jesus dying for. If you see every single person that you come into contact like that, that every single person that you meet is a person worth Jesus dying for, you're radically going to shift your mind. You're radically going to change this community. Radically going to change this city. Radically begin to redefine who the church is. Let's receive others just how God has received us without condemnation, without passing judgment. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this moment that brings us all together as a body. <clears throat> and we don't judge anyone in here. We don't come under the authority of any other person. But we come under the authority of the head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. And we come under the authority of the words of God, the words of our Savior. And the words given to us uh, in Romans chapter 14 this morning about the weak and the strong. And it really doesn't matter whether we're weak and we're strong. We're kind of weak and strong in different areas of our lives. But the point is first that you want to get us to is that we stop casting judgment on one another. Whether it's here in the church or whether it's a person at our workplace, someone at school, a relative, a friend, someone that we're having some difficult issues with where we've just said, We've just come to the conclusion that you're no longer, you're not worth my time, you're not worth my effort, you're not worth my concern, and you're not worth my love. And God, we just repent. We just repent. Because you do not see anyone in that light. And such better, even better news, you don't see us in that light. <laughs> that you see us that you are the one in your word says you've promised that you are the one to uphold us because we have our own issues and you never look at us and say there's no hope they'll never change you don't discard this relationship so father i pray that today that we're finding some healing in your words and we're beginning to find that the mercy that you've given us is actually transforming our hearts so that we have real, living mercy for others. And that we would go from this place, and instead of all those times that we're having snap judgments about people, all we keep doing day after day, we keep practicing. We keep renewing our minds, as you've told us, in the truth that every single person we ascribe worth and value, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what, what they look like, in our minds, our minds are being renewed and transformed day by day. That when we see a person, a person we don't like, or see a person that's different from us, we ascribe worthiness, we ascribe value, that this is a person worth that Jesus has died for because you did the exact 
saying for us. God, we can only do that by the power of your spirit and the filling of your spirit of love and mercy for every single one of us. And there is enough. There is enough in us, God, because your spirit is enough for us to love one another and to love this world. God, we thank you for the transformative power of the blood of Jesus Christ that covers washed away all of our sin, that condemns us no more, but welcomes us into life eternal. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.